This is Metal Mike, and I'm joined by Ryan, and we do a top 15 albums from the shitty 90s. Yes, the 90s were mostly shit, but our favorite rock heroes were there doing some cool stuff. Now, this one focuses on 94 through 96. Check it out. Well, Ryan, welcome to the 80s. Ah, I don't even know what the podcast is called. Welcome to the 80s Glam Metalcast, man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me back, man. This is hey, awesome. No problem. So, you know, we, we've done a few podcasts where we've, we've dipped into the 90s, which is strange territory uh, for hair model, right? We did 91. We did 92. We did 93. All killer years. Uh, what do you think? Oh, yeah. I, absolutely. I, I always kind of preached the early 90s for this genre anyway, but you have dug it out in me and surprised me just how deep this goes, and the fact that I can still come up with 15 albums that I routinely listen to and appreciate and can write so much about and talk so much about, it just goes to show the strength of this entire genre of music that we appreciate so much, so it really uh, it it speaks to the uh, talent of all these albums and all these bands. So it's great. I'm really glad we did these years. I think when you go back, I think the misconception probably all of us have who are big into the the '80s metal scene is that the '90s were bad. Like it was it was a bad time for metal, and it's in a lot of ways it was. But a lot of great music came out, and honestly, I take a lot of this stuff over what's coming out today by by any artist. You know what I mean? So it really wasn't as bad oh, as yeah. it's perceived to be. No, exactly, and um, there was a little bit of a common theme, you know, you had um, a lot of bands that were recording things in 92, 93, 94, and uh-oh, things started to go a little bit south right. from what they were used to, so half the album might have like some 60s, 70s Beatles-ish influence and, <laughs> and some Hendrix, and half of it is them being, harking back to their debut or sophomore album that kind of gave them their uh, their fame. So it's a little of both, but a lot of these we're going to talk about have a, a, um, a very consistent, good feel to them, and they could stand next to an album from 88 any day. Yeah. Um, so what we tried to do with this one is we initially wanted to go... Uh, 94 to 99 because let's face it there weren't as many albums that came out you know if you want to compare this to the 80s era I mean there were so many albums to talk about but what we found out was once we started compiling it there just was too much you know like I said I had a list of like 16 honorable mentions and I was like no we got a problem here we've got to restructure this thing so tonight we're going to do 94 through 96 which I think is pretty sensible way to go about this absolutely because we both supplied several albums in there that can stand the test of time that are from in the mid-90s, and, and, and look at them now. Yeah. All right, brother, with uh, no more delays here, let's. why don't you jump right into 15? Yeah, okay, thanks. So, um, full disclosure, I had Tough this first at number 15, and as of about 10 a.m. this morning, had a change of heart, and I scrapped it, <laughs> and I <laughs> I put in um, Jaded Heart, an album called Inside Out. So, obviously, Jaded Heart is in a household name 
They're a, uh, their debut was in 94. They're a German band. Well, let me tell you this. For fans of Bon Jovi, these guys are more Bon Jovi than Bon Jovi. This, this is like Blue Tears and Jaded Heart just killed the Bon Jovi feel. And, uh, and this is one of those albums. It's, it's kind of everything you'd, you'd want in an 80s album. It's got the big hooky choruses and, and lots of well-written songs. And they got a little bit of everything on the album. They got the mid-tempos, the, the rockers, the big choruses, the ballads, etc. Really strong discography. And um, all I can say is uh, another theme of these 90s albums is that the Europeans really stuck at it. And they yeah. stayed true to form. So yep. a few of these are actually European bands in my list that uh, didn't really do much. And um, these guys really stuck out to me. I... I Learned about them probably two or three years ago, so I'm pretty late in the game on them, but definitely check it out. Jaded Heart, Inside Out. Hmm. Dude, I'm going to have to go back and check that one out. I've never heard of Jaded Heart. I've heard of Jaded Heart, Dawkins song, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, uh, if you listen to the, to the first song, you'll trip out at the Bon Jovi um, similarity. It's, it's pretty uncanny, to be honest. Um, their first song is actually called Inside Out, name of the album. Um, the first line, you'll just, it'll blow you away how, how John Bon Jovi it is. But it's a great album. It, it sounds, it's where Bon Jovi uh, could have gone, let's just say that. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm, I'm going to spin that when we get done. But I did mention, J- you mentioned Jaded Heart, and I mentioned Jaded Heart, which makes me think about Dokken. And Dockett is my number 15, man. Dysfunctional. You know, it, it's, it was great, man. It was great to have Dockett back, reunited. They were on a major yeah. label. They were on Columbia Records, you know. And there's some school, uh, can't talk. There's some cool stuff on there. You got Too High to Fly, Inside Looking Out. Uh-huh. It, was, it was like Shadows of Life. Uh, nice ballad, nothing left to say. But um, overall, man, this just doesn't sound very true to what Dockett is. Um, and I don't revisit, you know, I don't really revisit this album that often, but. There's a couple cool moments that you know the whole idea of them being back together and being on a big label, but you know it definitely deserves a mention, but not one I circle back to a lot. You no, know, I agree. Um, it's interesting they, they had a song in the, on there called Shadows of Life, and then the next album was called Shadow Life. <laughs> yeah, that right. kind of weirded me out. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of this, I was introduced to dysfunctional via that uh, acoustic album they put out in yeah. uh, 95 called One Live Night. <laughs> Funnily, I, I kind of skipped over those songs quite often because I really liked that acoustic album because they, they mixed it up. They had just yeah. some some songs. But this album, yeah, dude, it, it never really jumped out at me. And you and I have talked before just how amazing it would have been if Dawkins would have stuck it out for one more album and just become a giant headliner at 89 or 90 yep. with a Dawkins album with a mix of Lynch Mob and, and uh, Back for the Attack yep. and Don Dawkins solo. So anyway, point being, this kind of fell through the cracks with me. Yeah, I mean, um, once again, you can't really, yeah. you know, we can't expect them to make, uh, you know, an 80s album on a major label in, in 1996, I think is when, when this came out. So, you know, I mean, they were playing the game, doing what they had to do, but like I said, it, it just, 
it's got a couple moments, but just doesn't stand the test of time. And obviously, if you want to go back and hear docking, you're probably going to go go to bat for the attack or or something like that. So yeah, uh, you know, if only they had known that in 2022 they could have been in the top five of the 80s glam metal cast <laughs> rankings on this podcast had they just stuck to their guns. <laughs> Those fools. <laughs> um, <laughs> could they? <laughs> what do you What do you got for 14? All right, 14, another European band. They're called Goddard, and I've, mm, I've uh, mm-hmm. referred to them before in my honorable mentions, uh, spelled G-O-T-T-H-A-R-D. This album's called Dial Hard. It's their second album, and they were one of those bands that was huge in Europe. Again, uh, they're a Swiss band, countless number one in platinum albums in their native country. Like I said, European, they're huge. Um, great number two album. The number, their first album was, was huge. They... They came out hot. Um, some of the highlights is a real hard hitter called She Goes Down. Not like the Motley song, but <laughs> it's, it's a little heavier. Um, higher and Mountain Mama. Uh, they're more like a, they're like a, like a polished crocus and a poppier ACDC. Um, unfortunately, the original singer, his dream was to um, do a motorcycle trip in the United States and he died in a motorcycle crash in 2010. Oh my God. But they had a, a, um, a brand new singer in 2011 and he's still going strong and he's doing a great job and carrying on the name. But, you know, Goddard is one of those bands like Thunder or uh, like Honeymoon Suite in Canada. They're, they're big in their native countries and they just never quite got to the United States and achieved the fame, uh, which is well-deserved if you check out these albums. So highly suggest goddard dial hard hmm you know i've heard that name i want to say like uh mitch lafon has brought up goddard like on his twitter page and and i've heard the name but i've never heard the band so definitely one i gotta go check out yeah mitch lafon preaches thunder and goddard has bands that are real big (laughs) overseas and didn't do really much here but yo very very worthy albums and worthy bands yes so as a Kiss fan, man, I've got um, for number fourteen. I've got Peter Chris, cat number one. And you know, Peter Chris. You ever heard this album or no? I only I only heard of it in doing research for this podcast, and, <laughs> and I didn't even know it existed. And I apologize. I apologize for that one. Well. This one had, you know, okay, let me backtrack here. So Peter definitely has the distinction of having, like, the worst Kiss solo album. This is pretty much universally, you know, accepted. And his solo albums, when he left Kiss, were pretty much just as bad. They weren't in in sync with what Kiss does. They weren't hard rock. You know, it was just, you know, it it may have been rock, soft rock, jazz rock. I don't know what the hell he was doing, but it wasn't really, like, old-time rock. You know what I mean? It just wasn't metal at all. And um, this album, man, is great, though. It's great to hear him back. It's all pretty much heavy rock. Uh, good songs. And his voice, he's got a great voice. Even Gene Simmons, who talks a lot of bullshit about Peter Chris, will always give him that he was yeah. probably the, one of the, the best singers in the band. Um, Ace oh, plays wow. on a couple songs. There's a real cool song called Bad Reputation. You should check that one out. You would like that song. Um, Show Me the Truth. Bad people burn in hell. Um, it's just wicked cool, man. It, it's just I don't know oh, okay. if, if if it's just it's you know it's good hard rock. His voice sounds great on it. There's even times where like there's like one one song or two where uh, I think the bass player or somebody else in the band sings, 
and he but he's on there on the backups for the chorus and it just sounds great it just reminds me of like the way old kiss would sound live and stuff so it, that's a great album oh, man. Cool. so anybody okay i'll check it out yeah definitely check out bad reputation that song's about um uh when that guy was impersonating peter chris and, and, and he was saying he was homeless and he went on the donahue show that's what that song is all about oh, yeah. so yeah good stuff yeah i watched that that was crazy <laughs> all right man 13 all right 13 Well, I gave it a little nod to Lou Graham. I did Foreigner, Mr. Moonlight. Ooh, so, I like uh, that this was, this was Lou Graham's first album back with Foreigner after their breakup in the late 80s. And they had the one album with uh, Johnny Edwards in 91. But this is just typical killer 80s AOR, catchy as shit, yep. Foreigner. Yep. You know, um, they have some really good mid-tempo songs, but it, it really never gets more aggressive than the opener, yeah. which is kind of sad because um, when I think of Foreigner, I think of that high, intense Lou Graham where you just go, oh my God, there's no talk to this guy's range. It's yeah. amazing. He's got a wonderful voice. And then you got um, uh, Shadow King, who, of course, you and I really preach that band. And he hits, he hits just amazing notes as just just killer notes in, in, on that album. And he doesn't do it on this one. I'm kind of bummed about it. That's the only reason it's really not higher. Yeah. But, I mean, even on even on his solo albums, he gets up there and he, he really does. starts to, to kick it into high gear. But, yeah, it's worth a listen if you're in the mood for kind of like a little bit lighter thing. But you got that Lou Grant 80s influence. So, Mr. Moonlight, it's their 94 comeback, which I don't know how much it did, but <laughs> I definitely preach it. Well, my... I may have this on my list a little bit higher, so I'll, I'll stay quiet on it. So, oh, yeah. All right. Very I'll, good. Yeah, I like that I one. I appreciate that. I like that. Um, 13, man. I've said it a million times on this podcast. I'm a sucker for Vince Neil, man. I like anything that's got Vince Neil's voice on it. Even if he's trying to do rap, R&B, techno, whatever the hell it is, uh, grunge, uh, carved in stone, baby, 13. You know, uh, dude, I've got so much about this that I want to say, and I'll just try to condense it. it is, uh, because Vince doesn't really um, talk much about this album, so I guess there's really not much more that I can say about it. But uh, I'm going to start with, I didn't even know this album was coming out, okay? The promotion for this oh, thing wow. was so bad. I just remember going into a... Um, there was a local record store, and they would write the new releases on a whiteboard, right? And I just remember going in one yeah. day and seeing the date, that it, like a release date, and it said Vince Neil carved in stone. I'm like, whoa, didn't even know Vince Neil had an album coming out. So I made sure I got back there and bought that album when it came out. And, um, you know, when I first put it in, I think I thought it was the wrong CD because it's like it starts off yeah. and it's doing like these like uh, R&B uh, rap loop type things. And I'm like, what is this? But um, you know what, man? I like this album. I don't care. It's it's not exposed. You know what I mean. It's just Vince 
being Vince in the 90s. You know what I mean? And, you know, I was. it's funny because I was trying to find it in the dirt today where, where he talked about this album. Because I remember, like, it's like a sentence. I think that's all I think that's all this has in the dirt is about a sentence. But, um, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, the Warner Brothers put him with the Dust Brothers. And if you don't know, Dust Brothers became huge when they did um, Back Odelay. So that's more who they need to be producing, not Vince Neil. Uh, and Vince had a lot of stuff going on. This was about when his, when his daughter was going through the sickness. So I don't, I don't think Vince was 100% committed to the project because of you know family things that were going on. I don't think Warner Brothers gave a flying shit about this album either because there was no promotion whatsoever. They did one video for Skylar's song, which is probably the only real Vince Neil you know sounding song on this whole album. And um, yeah. once again, that's one of those where you had to be up at 3 a.m. Uh, on a Wednesday to see it on MTV. You know what I mean? It just, it was never <laughs> yeah. hardly on. But if you go back, there's a couple of cool things to note about this album. It's got really great sound quality. So when when you strip, when the songs where they're just playing as a band, I think the sound quality is great. Vince's voice sounds great. Uh, Vicky Fox's drums are just killer. If that's actually even him playing, I don't know. It doesn't really sound like the way he right. would play, but it's really good. And um, go back and listen to, like, The Crawl. Black Promises is super cool. Once again, it's, like, very grungy, like, Soundgarden or something. Make You Feel, that is probably my favorite song on the album. I love that song. It, it's definitely, like, a, it's almost Sabbath-y. You know what I mean? Like, if Vince would kind of mix with the Sabbath thing. Um, yeah. So... That's all I got, man. You know, it was just a, it's an overlooked album. I think when it starts off, it, it does a lot of that weird stuff with the electronic loops and stuff. So immediately it throws you off. Like, oh, what is this shit? But if you get going with the album, it um it definitely changes and it is more kind of just, you know, grunge rock with Vince singing. But dude, I don't know. There's something about it. I was I honestly I was jamming on it yesterday, and it's just a cool album. I was like, I like these songs, man. It's not like I said, it's not my go-to Vince, but I like it. Chad, I'll have to get another shot because I bought it when it not when it came out, but when I discovered it, and I ended up returning it back when you could like return things to the it was called the warehouse mm-hmm. for weird California, and I returned the CD, and I was like, nope, hate it. So I'm gonna have to give it another shot. I think I was just so waiting for a Motley, anything close to Motley Crue, and it yeah. wasn't or exposed, and I thought, eh, I write it off. But that was my 20 year old self speaking self. So, Maybe now, 21 years later, I'll give it a shot. Because, <laughs> like I said, I just like his voice. So I pretty much like anything that has his voice on it. And it really just sounds yeah. like how he's not singing any different. Like, he's just singing the way that he sings. He's just singing on a yeah. different kind of style of music than that you're used to. That's really all it is. So. Well, I remember that one interview, him talking about how they paired him up with those the Dust Brothers. And he thought, okay, well, let's give it a shot. And yeah. then he goes, man, that was the wrong choice. But... Maybe not. We'll see. I'll give it another shot. We'll, we'll spin it and see. Yeah, definitely. Number 12. All right. Number 12, I got Axel Rudy Pell, mm. the uh, German guitar player. Mm-hmm. And this one is called Between the Walls. So uh, this has got Just Got Soto as uh, lead vocal. And let Ooh. me say, that was a busy mother. Back in the day, he was a busy dude. He had yeah. the band Eyes. He had Eyes. He had Takara. He had Talisman. He had Axel Rudy, and then, and then he, I think he sprinkled in a little Jeff Scott Soto solo album in there, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy's never-ending. If you look at his discography, he's been involved in, like, well over 100 albums. Like, I don't know what he's got left lyrically. It's amazing, but this is, it's just a creative album, but, but this band is, is always consistently killer. They had, you know, Bob Rock is their singer on the first two. They had uh, Jeff Scott Soto. 
and then they had Johnny Gioli from from Hardline in the, for the last couple of decades. So uh, this is just that killer Euro metal that, that really it never wavers. It's uh, it kind of touches upon the, the dragons and fantasy Dio stuff, but um, but it's not overbearing. And you know it's just like I said, very consistent album. This guy's discography goes back for. I believe the late '80s, and he may have been in Steeler. I could be making that up. Not the Kiel Steeler, but <laughs> the other one. German Steeler. Yeah, um, I, I, I like this guy. That up. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> jammed on some of his stuff, and um, I didn't know that Jeff Scott Soto did an album with him. So I'm definitely interested in that. Oh, he made several with him, okay. and right at the same time, he was doing Eyes and Takara and Talisman. So he, I mean, like I said, super busy guy at the time, and it's just so cool that he had. He had the energy and the creative mind to come up with lyrics and words on, on all these really catchy, cool songs. So I got to hand it to the guy. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, number yeah. 12. I've got Man of War louder than hell. And nice. um, very good. This is uh, back to basics, kind of like trying. I'm trying to get back to their more. I want to say maybe like just straight up metal, like they did with like on, on battle hymns, like Metal Days and and Death Tone and stuff like that. Um, but for me, this was a major letdown after the Triumph of Steel. I love Triumph of Steel, as you know. I think it was it was number two. It it, it, it almost had number one for me in 1992. So so That's I was right. expecting. Triumph of Steel Part 2, and I got louder than hell. So when I first got this album, I really couldn't stand it, and I never listened to it. Uh, but over the years, I kept going back, and uh, finally I, I kind of understood what they were trying to get across here. I look at this as the beginning of their pop warrior metal era. So goodbye riffs. There's no more riffs. It's just chugging, really catchy stuff. You know, uh, Brothers of Metal is super catchy. God's Made Heavy Metal is super catchy. Courage is a great ballad. Yeah. A lot of times people will put like a, a lot of American stuff like planes flying and flags to this song. So this album definitely has the, the all-American ballad type thing. And then if you're looking for real fast double bass rockers, there's two. Um, Outlaw and Power. And Power's got sick, sick screams. So that's the kind of stuff that a lot of us like to hear from Man of War. It's like the, the fast stuff and the screaming. This is more like that I'm just trying to write kind of like, you know, more basic, you know, metal rock type things uh, for at least for the yeah. first part of the album. So I know what they were trying to do. It showed the return of Scott Columbus, who was absent from the Triumph of Steel. Um, but yeah, man, I, I kind of always rank this one kind of low in the catalog. So Yeah, well, when I, the last one we did and I kind of re-engaged in Manowar, and this was, I, I believe, one of your recommendations. And I gave it a shot, and I liked it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, I did my homework on this one. I, I too, I think it's pretty cool. And the, vocally, this this is one of those uh, ones you just you're in awe of a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. the vocals album. are always spot on. There's no doubt about that for Manowar. Um, number yeah. eleven, man. What do you got? <laughs> Alright, I got Tesla, Bustin' Nut. Yeah. So this is their 94 album. Um, they definitely toughened up with a little bit more pissed off guitars, but you know, Jeff Keith is always gonna have that skinny 80s smoker ripper voice anyway, <laughs> so you can't really, you can't really uh, escape from that. 
Um, some of the standouts, Shine Away, Mama's Fool, Solution. I like a song called Rubber Band. And it's, those are about the most 80s in, in terms of like the choruses that you get. Um, but it was a tough year for a band like Tesla. Yeah. They're, they just, there was no winning for them, you know. They're, they stayed true to form. Uh, you know, they, they, they toughened up a little bit, but I think they went back to their 70s roots a little bit more on this album, probably because they thought that it would potentially win them over a few more 90s fans. But, hey, it's still a good hard rock album. I still like it, and that's why it's almost cracked the top 10. But mm-hmm. it isn't quite the first three, but no. it's right there. It's close. I've, ne- I've never been a huge Tesla fan, but even I can appreciate this album. And one song that my wife loves playing, and I like this song quite a bit too, is Action Talks. That's a really cool song. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a happy yeah, that's one. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah, a good, good one choice. on there. Yep, so, yep. Nothing wrong with putting this one on there, man. It's a good album. Nice. Deep cut. I like it. Uh, 11. L.A. Guns, Vicious Circle, and I believe... Oh, yeah, see, I forgot about that. Yeah, see, this is what kept happening. Dude, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd be like, oh, L.A. Guns, Vicious Circle. We've got to change up this list. There's no way. I can't exclude this album. Oh, Um, Trust me, I did the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think with this album, L.A. Guns can prove that they can pull off anything. I think it's one of those bands that I think they could do any style for the most part because there's just there's something about him it's just different and i think it's phil lewis honestly i think it's phil lewis's voice you can't really put him in a in any kind of set uh category you know what i mean he's he definitely is an 80s rocker but he definitely is kind of gothy sometimes and he can be mellow yeah. you know what i mean he, he just i think he's very versatile he can do anything and in this album man for the most part there's a lot of hard rockers heavy shit face down um, but Face Down is almost like a 90s heavy version of something that could be on the debut. Like that riff, the Tracy's That's riff, right. sounds just like something that could be on the first album. No Crime is kind of punkier. They've got that punk thing. They can, Like I said, they can do anything. Um, Long Time Dead, man, is a great song. It's definitely got a 90s vibe, but it's a super cool like commercial 90s rock type of a song. And the funny thing was radio in my area, there, we had a cool radio station around 95, and they were playing uh, Long Time Dead. And, and so, like I said, there there was a few really? stations that were still kind of showing this stuff some love. The rest of the album's cool, but I'll be honest. It kind of, once you get to, like, after, like, the fifth song, um, it, it's good, but it's just not, like, super in your face like those first, like, five songs are for me. But I still, I, I, went, I listened to the whole album the other day, and it was definitely sounding good. But, um, yeah, that's probably why I couldn't put it higher, because as a full, consistent album, I don't know. But uh, like I said, those first five t- songs, they sell it for me right there. Nice. I admittedly haven't listened to this album since I probably got into LA Guns and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to start listening to. So it's been a long time since I've heard it. I have it, so I might have to bring it out again. You got to revisit it. It's good stuff. Nice. Ten. All right. I almost don't even want to – I don't want to insult you and talk about this album because I have a feeling you're going to talk – a lot more about it, but okay. I'm gonna throw it out there. Sabotage, 
Handful of Rain, 1994. Yeah. And well, it's on my Zach. list. I got <laughs> Zach. Zach is back. Yup, he's the... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And the opener, the op- the, the opener hits you hard. Yep. It's almost like a like Faith No More fast verse vocals, which is freaking killer. Um, the building of the song "Chance" Ooh. is that 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 chug main riff, dude. It just rips. Like this album is one of those where. I, when I got All the Mountain King first, I then purchased everything else, Sabotage. And this is one of those that really stood out. But mm-hmm. I will say I dig this album because it doesn't have a, hardly any of the piano ballad stuff. Mm-hmm. And when they do have it in there, they kind of sprinkle it in and then they come out of it with just the hard rock shit. And yeah. I just, it's a really solid album. And his vocals are a little like deeper Hetfield-ish on this album yeah. versus yeah. Edge of Thorns, you know? Like, yeah. He definitely went down, like his balls dropped a little bit more on this album. Yep. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think that there was maybe a reason for that, but solid album, it's in the top 10, and, and I, I really preach it. Yeah, I got a favorite song on the album. Should have been a single. It's a really cool, catchy song. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's not a lot of real hard rocking guitar on this album, but very well written songs. And I give them a thumbs up for, you know, this is basically how Bon Jovi survived. They evolved. They did not stick with the formula that they did, you know, for the, you know, the 80s albums. They definitely changed it up, got with the times. And that's why Bon Jovi can still play a stadium. So. Oh, I thought it's because he cut his hair. <laughs> his, his hair was, you know what? I watched, I was watching some videos and I watched, okay, his hair looked good for this album. But man, that faith, the keep the faith video, he, that's bad. That's a bad hair. I don't care. Like, I don't care if you cut your hair, but you don't have a hairdo that looks like a girl. I'm just, I mean, that looked like a girl's hairdo, like an older lady's hairdo. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. During the, the early 2000s when Ricky Rocket was doing that, my dad referred to him as having it. Every grandmother's haircut, and that's <laughs> right there where Bon Jovi was, and it just doesn't go, man. That's Come on, so bad. going on? Yeah, his hair was way better for these days. It kind of grew out, and it was just more straggly. But that that yeah. fresh, fresh, weird cut that he's got for uh, Keep the Faith, mm, no, man. That, that one, people think his... Uh, his 88 hairdo is dated. No, that looks cool. Go back to 92. That, that's oh, bad. <laughs> it's not our fault we're talking about a guy's hair. He had killer hair. <laughs> I know. What did he? What was he thinking? <laughs> he had a beautiful mane. <laughs> Gosh, come on. Uh, number nine. Number nine. I got YNT, Musically Incorrect, from 1995. So uh, YNT, I've, I've, I've talked about him a few times before. One of your other buddies talked about him in a, in a, I can't remember which, it was the 85 album top 10 list, I believe. Oh, yeah, he and put like he two of them in there. Al- he, he did he two. Had, he had two albums. Yeah. yeah. The live album and uh, Down for the Count. 
so they get a little air time on the 80s glam metal cast which is great yeah so uh yeah it, this was my this is my first new release from Y&T so I got into Y&T and Crocus in about in 94 and uh got got these two great 90s albums out of the deal and this one is fairly consistent you know the standouts are Long Way Down Cold Day in Hell um Don't Know What to Do they're very much Jimi Hendrix influence and you know, the days of L.A. Rocks off of Contagious are gone. You know, my favorite album, Contagious, is long gone. They, they tried to do the massive <laughs> uh, John Kaladner, Aerosmith, Whitesnake, massive comeback with a lighter image and catchy songs. And, and, and I know you love Contagious. I freaking love that album. Yeah. And it was great for Y&T. But this is back to their roots. And Dave Medichetti, lead singer, lead guitar player, He's got the the seventies influence. Mm-hmm. I mean, they started in the early seventies, and they were really on their way by like seventy five, seventy six, and then some stuff happened. It didn't happen for them, but this harks back to that. And and just like a lot of these nineties albums come out, they say, "Screw it, I'm going back to the way it was." Mm-hmm. And you know, they try to appeal to some Black Crows fans in the nineties, and <laughs> just didn't quite get there. But there are some really good standouts on this album, and like I said, you know. My recipe back in the day, I was a decade late into all this stuff. I would get a best of, I'd get their highest selling album, and I'd get their new release. That's kind of the order I went in. Mm. And I was spoiled because I got Musically Incorrect as a new album in 95. Nice. And uh, I still listen to it. And they play at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk every summer because they're Bay Area natives. And they actually played one of these songs a couple years ago. And it was such a cool surprise, and um, I was probably one of six people in the audience that knew what they were playing, <laughs> so I freaking loved it. The funny thing is, man, and you hit on a great point, is this is like the lost era for a lot of these bands. So if they go out on tour now, they're really going to play the stuff that was made them huge, like their 80s stuff. But like these, a lot oh, of this yeah. 90s stuff, you're never going to ever hear it live, ever again. So it's crazy. No, Exactly. Y&T is one of those bands that kind of celebrates their entire catalog, to be honest. And they play something from every album, and they don't give a shit that it might be fully 80s or no one cared or whatever. They bring out these surprises, and, dude, it goes over really well because they're still so good. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, Dave Minichetti, he's a hidden gem in the rock and roll world. The guy sounds identical to how he sounded in 85 right now. Crazy, crazy. Well, number nine... I've got this is where I put Foreigner, Mr. Moonlight, and uh, I love this album. You know, I didn't. It was a little hard to accept, like you said, when I first bought it because I, right, I was expecting a little bit more of a some more rockers. I know Foreigner has a light side, but you know, this is a more of a laid back album overall. But uh, I think over the years, I just kept listening to it and listening to it. And it's just grown on me. I think it's got a lot of great songs, which I will talk about right now. But uh, one thing that you didn't nice. mention is that he brought Bruce Turgeon with him from um, from Thank Shadow King. Yeah. I left it out because I could have gone down that wormhole, <laughs> and I could have talked about that guy. And I swear, that guy's first solo album, it did not get released in the 2000s or created in the 2000s. That's got to be an early 90s release. But it doesn't say it anywhere. Trust me, I wanted to try to add it to 
somewhere in here. Uh-huh. But it, they claim it came out in 2000-something. But, man, great voice, great bass player. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Under the Gun, like you said, that it sounds like an 80s leftover you know, or something like that. It's definitely had more of that 80s, uh, 80s vibe. Uh, but the rest of the album yeah. kind of has that these days type of a vibe for like Jovi. It, it, it's more of a you know modern acoustic rock type of a th- whatever you want to call it. You know, um, until yeah. the end of time was like a minor hit. Me and my wife we danced to this song, so it has some has some uh, romantic value uh, to me. So right. we so we danced was our wedding good. song. Um, but the song Rain is really cool. White Lie, All I Need to Know, and. Um, Hole in My Soul. That's like my favorite song on the album. So if you don't remember that song, go back and check it out. Super, super catchy. And um, the last song is called Hand on My Heart. And that kind of reminds me of a Shadow King song, especially the verses. It totally sounds like Shadow King. So I wonder if like Under the Gun was like a, a leftover from that album that they did without Lou. And then the the last song reminds me of it could be a Shadow King song. So I think elements of both of those things are coming into this along with a more stripped-back 90s sound. But I, I love this album, man. It's great. Well, I heard an interview with Lou Graham within the year, and he says that there are several Shadow King, what would have been a second album, or some cutting room floor songs that could come out that are fully produced. And I bet you you'll see some Mr. Moodline on there because there's got to be some connection because this is too similar to Shadow King with a slightly toned down sound. Yeah. So I'm right there with you. Number eight. Number eight. Again, another one I almost don't want to insult you and talk about because I got a feeling it's coming. But I got Ingwe, yeah. the seventh sign from '94. Yeah. So, oh, it's coming. Yep, I, <laughs> I almost don't want to say anything. So, you got Mike Vassar's debut with yeah. Ingwe. Uh, his, it almost makes Ingwe's guitars take a backseat to his voice because it's so strong, which yeah. is a very, very high task for Ingwe because he's he's such a, an overbearing force. Um, He's a rising force. But exactly, <laughs> <laughs> some of the standouts, um, you know, they open with a complete shredder in, in "Never Die." Mm. Uh, the next song, it's like a blues ripper, and I in the song, I don't know. Love, I don't and know. I, I I completely condone the blues on this song because he yeah. kind of comes out of it, but he keeps it in it. But and then the title track, it's just killer. Mm. This album, and I got to credit you and uh, your your Ingway dedicated podcast you had at one point because I love Trilogy and Odyssey of course like everyone else and the first two Yep. Um, but I kind of ignored the rest and then shit dude from Eclipse on I was so happy to discover his 90's catalog because the dude never strayed no, he's, he's unwavering his, he, the 90's did not happen in his world it did not happen no, dude, not at all. And and they still haven't happened. Look at the guy. His, <laughs> other than his sideburns, he hasn't changed. No. Dude, I I am so pumped on Ingway. I listened to Eclipse. I know you kind of let you down. Yeah. And we've talked about it quite a bit. Yeah. Dude, Bedroom Eyes. Oh, dude. That's the first a good two album. Yeah. On that album. Yeah. So killer. So anyway, but the seventh sign, I'm feeling it's number eight. 
and uh, I'll, I'll, I understand if I've insulted you no. with my lack of Ingway knowledge, nope. but I'll let you run with it at a later date. So what I have a, a special surprise for you that you need to check out because you like Mike Vissera with Ingve and you like Bedroom Eyes. So when we get done with this interview, go on to uh, YouTube and watch Bedroom Eyes live from 94 with Vissera on vocals at the Budokan. Budokan, whatever you ever thought oh, you say it. You got to watch damn. that. You're going to love it. Wow. Best of both worlds. Yes. Okay. Speaking of Ingve, I have an album at number eight of Ingve, which is not the seventh sign because that album is so awesome. It's going to rate much higher than that. But I've got <laughs> Magnum Opus. And... Um, this is not as good as the seventh sign, but it's pretty damn close. And when I talk now, Mike Vassara even agrees with me, so you know that I'm on the right track. The seventh sign is better than Magnum Opus, um, but this yeah. album is really damn good. And and it's funny in my notes, I have what you said that Ingve is unaffected by the uh, by the grunge wave, by every other style that's kind of filtered through. He's still playing that same kind of '80s um, commercial rock mixed with the the. Um, well, you know what's the word I'm looking for? Like the symphonic metal type stuff. So neoclassical. Yeah, that's exactly. the word I'm looking for. Um, the song "Vengeance." Once again, it kicks. No, wait. Do you, you ever listen to this album? Do I? Li yeah, I listen to it. You have listen. Okay, because this album is structured very similar. You got "Vengeance" is like your kickoff song. No love lost. Um, then you got your teaserish type of a song called "The Only One." It's like that, you know, commercial yeah. hard rock thing. Voodoo. You gotta go back and again and listen to "Cross the Line." Such a good song. And I know that that is all Mike Vissera. Like, Ingve basically has nothing to do with that song. I know that that... I can tell that's Mike Vissera's writing. Uh, Fire in the Sky. Dude, that... I mean, I really, really, really dig this album. I actually kind of bummed that I put it at 8. I think I should put it, like, back-to-back -back with the seventh side because it's so good, but it's at 8. Yeah, and the reason I, I chose the first one, the seventh side, over this one is just... It seemed to have a little bit more of that symphonic edge to it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, ah, I'm going to go with Seven Sign over this one. And that's the only reason. I yeah. still like it. Yep. Number seven. All right, here we are. Number seven. My potentially newfound number two favorite out of their catalog, Slaughter, Fear No Evil, 1995. Wow. So I, I, I listened to your podcast about some of the albums that were a letdown. Yes. And the wildlife from Slaughter was in there. Yeah. Which I always really liked. I liked that album a lot. It's, it's, the debut is amazing, yep. obviously. But this album, dude, it's right there with Next to Wildlife. But, you know, half of it was recorded, well, to say, re it, most of it, all of it was recorded in 92-93, and it was released in 95 on a different label. Yep. So I'm sure they did some screwing around between those years, and they made it a little bit more 90s than 80s. But, you know, you still got the original lineup. Yep. It lacks the debut 80s killerness, mm -hmm. but it's more close to the wildlife, I, I got to say. And 
a lot of the harder stuff on this album is like the hard stuff on Vinnie Vincent and Bacon to mm. me. Like it's mm-hmm. a little bit of all systems go harder stuff. So the song Get Used to It absolutely rips. And now in revisiting this album, because I bought the CD years ago, but now that I've revisited this and studied it a little bit more, out of my head, dude, it's one of my favorite Slaughter songs now. It's like, it's up there next to like Mad About You. That's how freaking good it is. Hmm. But the only problem with this song, and dig into this, but the solo is Foolin' by Def Leppard. <laughs> like, dude, I, if you listen to it and you're at all a Def Leppard fan, you'd be like, I've heard this before. You'd be like, oh shit, that's Foolin'. And if you're obsessed with Def Leppard like I am, it's insulting to the point where you're like, holy shit, Homeboy needed some like inspiration because <laughs> this is ripoff, but it's good, but it's a ripoff. And then there's also uh, the song called Divine Order, and that's exactly like the Led Zeppelin song, The Battle of Evermore. Mm. Dude, it's identical. So anyway, th- that shit aside, it's got a little bit of that Beatles kind of stuff to it in yeah. some of the songs, which I attribute to like their 90s influence. But basically, I, I compare this to, like, uh, it's their winger pull. Like, I'd okay. say winger did a slightly better job due to the consistency of pull, but this album might have more of the 80s moments, a little bit more than pull, but not enough to put it uh, over the edge of pull. It's, it's, it's just, it's got enough non-80s stuff to kind of, that kind of brings it down um, to where Paul was very consistent and very, very much like a harder winger. This is a harder slaughter, but some of it, they, they kind of were obviously recording it in like 94, 95. So mm. anyway, Fear No Evil, it's, it's come back into my life and I really like this album again. I'm going to have to give this album another shot because I've tried this album out numerous times. And to me, I never heard the hooks. Like, I just I just never got hooked. Like, you know, I didn't feel like there was any really good, catchy songwriting on this album. So I'm going to have to give it another shot. I'll listen to those songs that you said because I want, hey, man, I want to like Slaughter because I want more Slaughter because the only album I really like is the debut. So I want to get into more Slaughter. So, Oh, dude, you know me. I'm, I'm as predictable as it gets into, like, kind of writing shit off as it is in 80s sounding. Mm-hmm. And I wrote this one off probably because there's a song called It's All Right, I think. That's the Beatles reference that mm-hmm. I'm not really into. But um, the rest of it, it's pretty much true to form. And some of the stuff is, it stands up right next to Mad About You and Burning Bridges and mm-hmm. all that. Like, I'm not joking. This is one of those albums where I'm really happy that we started digging deep into this again because... I now have a new Slaughter album I can listen to. Nice. As I'm looking at my list, so my number seven, I feel like my 90s lists are all kind of have a lot of the same people on them. But I don't care. It is what it is. Uh, yeah, exactly. Megadeth, Youth in Asia. Uh, this is probably my favorite Megadeth album. Super catchy, well-written, still heavy. You got Reckoning Day, Train of Consequences. Um Addicted to chaos, but I think my favorite song is Blood of Hero. Go back. If you haven't listened in a long time, listen to Blood of Heroes. Such a catchy, everything's catchy. The first, the chorus. Uh, Family Tree, that's pretty deep, man. It's like about like family secrets and like people like being molested or something it's a really deep kind of a 
uh, concept, but it's it's really cool song. And Black Curtains, pretty thrashy. So yeah, great album. Dude, I like I said, I I kind of always neglected Megadeth. I like their '90s stuff a little bit because it was a little bit more hard rock. But I don't have much to say, and I apologize. I own all their stuff. Yeah. But I just can't. I can't speak to it enough. Yeah. No, it's all good, man. What do you got for six? <laughs> Number six. I got a band called Shy. Shy. Welcome to the Madhouse from '94. So um, this is their only uh, major label album not to feature, I'm sorry, to feature John Ward on vocals taking over for Tony Mills. Tony Mills, yeah. Um, unfortunately, Tony Mills um, passed away from cancer. Uh, fantastic singer Tony was, and uh, great, great few albums with Shy. He went on to sing for TNT. TNT, yep. But anyway, both singers are, are fantastic. I definitely encourage people to check out um, Shy's back catalog and if you need a little introduction check out a song called um, Give It All You Got and it's with Tony Mills singing it's, yeah. I believe it's their 1990 album really really cool song great video but this album this album's packed with just killer hard rockers it's a very 80's big sound song called Crazy Crazy song called Angel Girls Like You Who Do You Think You Are um, check out Who Do You Think You Are and listen to the gu- guitar riff at the one minute remaining in the song, Mark. This riff, this goes to show you how into this album I am, I could tell you a riff with a one minute remaining in a song, uh, <laughs> it, it could be a standalone song. It's it's one of those, like, you know, in Eyes Without a Face and Flesh for Fantasy, Billy Idol, as you get into the song, it cranks into two respective riffs that yes. you're like, oh, dude, Steve Stevens, Billy, why didn't you come up with a song with yeah. the Flesh for Fantasy rip or Eyes Without a Phase? It gets going and it's amazing. Towards the end of those songs, dude, it should have been its own song. So, anyway, um, they just, they, they also, they gave me a little glimpse into how killer a cover can be. They took the Rolling Stones song, It's Only Rock and Roll, and they, they made it a big 80s sounding and it, dude, it's killer. Like, I kind of like, I'm half and half with covers. Crocus does a lot of good covers, obviously Quiet Riot, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, but dude, this cover is amazing. So I really suggest people check out Ch- Shy. Welcome to the Madhouse from 1994. Nice. So I'm going to throw a curveball. Here is one that I never, ever had on any of my lists. So this is a curve. number six. I got Queen Made in Heaven. And oh wow, Queen! Wow. Queen! Queen is one of my favorite bands. It's just you know they didn't have really not their most incredible albums came out in the uh, '80s or anything, so they never really made my list. A lot of them, our lists have been focused primarily on hair model, so Queen really doesn't fit into there. So Queen kind of never really fit into anything. But this one, it's kind of like at, the, at this point in the '90s, it's all fair game if you can put Foreigner and all these guys on. Queen fits right in. Um, at first, when I read about this album, I thought this was going to be um, basically a bunch of stuff that they did before he died. Uh, that's the kind of way it was originally being uh, promoted. Later, yeah. In later years, I found out that's not really the case. There may be 
maybe two or three songs that are actually that's what it is and a lot of them are they've reworked freddy's solo stuff they've got they've reworked some b-sides and then when you explain it that way then it almost has a cheapness to it but that's not the case at all because what they really did was is they put they gave a lot of freddy's stuff the queen treatment if you go back and you listen to freddie mercury's solo album mr bad guy right it, it it's got great vocals because he's a great vocalist, great songwriter. The music sucks. The music's really weak. It's like synth uh, drums and weak, you know, synth and all this stuff. And when you put Brian May cranking out his guitar and, and Roger Taylor, John Deacon, they just uh, kill it. And honestly, those are my favorite songs. They redid Made in Heaven. And the one of my favorite Queen songs of all time with, with Queen playing it is I Was Born to Love You. So if you've ever never heard that one go listen to that it's it's a very cool rocking song uh the way they did it so um yeah man i, I love it freddie mercury mercury's got a great voice and um yeah, some of the parts to it if like i said i could go down a real wormhole with this album because i've read i've read a lot about this album but um like there's a song called you don't fool me which is kind of dancey uh type of a song but when i read about that one basically what they did was he just kind of was scatting and, and throwing out some stuff in uh in the studio and then they just took all these different things that he did and kind of cut and pasted it and made a song out of it so when you think of all the care that went into this and how much work had to go into this album and what the guy was going through some of the stuff was sung um you know in 90 or 91 before he died so just to think that he still could sing like that you know being on his deathbed uh it's just a really cool album another song that i really love is um let me live and that one, it trades off vocals between Freddie, uh, Roger, and Brian May. Could be because parts of it were unfinished and they needed to fill in the blanks or whatever. But um, that's just a great album. It, it, it's kind of sad, though, because it, it makes you realize where Queen would have went. Like, Queen was getting back to, like, the sound that made him famous on this album. And I would have loved to have seen a, a, another studio album and, and seen what they would have done if Freddie would have lived. But Made in Heaven is a snapshot of maybe where they would have went. So, great album. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you if it was reminiscent of his solo stuff, which I kind of went down that pathway as well to, to check out his solo things after I was a little bit not tapped out because Queen is kind of never ending, but um, I wanted to just see what his 80s album sounded like. So, yeah, thanks for the information. I'll have to really check that one out. Another good homework assignment. Yeah. Number five, we're getting down to the end. No, oh, dude. My my top six is so killer. So, <laughs> um, and I, and I can't have a top ten or fifteen list without Van Halen. Crocus or ACDC? Jimmy I got Van Halen. Balance. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> the final Van Halen studio album that they that they just they, they just threw it out and it was assumed that it was going to be number 1, which it was, of course. But it's it's sad cuz it's the end of an era, you know. Um this after this they tried Roth again and they tried Gary Sharon and mm -hmm. of course they ended up back with Sammy and back with, with Roth, all that stuff. But um this album lacks what I absolutely adore with Foreign Awful Carnal Knowledge, which, you know, was my, like, alternate number one in 91 when we <laughs> did that top ten. And, but it's, 
it's such an Eddie showcase album with such amazing guitar tones and tricks that, I mean, he does a little bit of everything on this album, including an instrumental, or actually two instrumentals. And um, I, I, I just, I can't wait for the words to kick in on one of the instrumentals, but I, it never happens because mm. it's such a quality song. And trust me, I'm not like a guitar nerd, so I don't love a ton of instrumental albums, but that song's great. But, you know, there's three mid-tempos on this album. Um, Don't Tell Me What Love Can Do is probably my, my favorite, my standout. But great live show, uh, a released home video that was awesome. And, uh, you know, R.I.P. Eddie, of course. Mm-hmm. He'll, never, he'll never die in my eyes. So Van Halen's number five. You know, I actually really like the song uh, Can't Stop Loving You. It was funny, like I hadn't heard it in a long time and a couple years ago I was like in a grocery store buying groceries, walking around and this song came on and I was like, man, this is a really cool song. I usually don't care for any Sammy Hagar stuff with, with Van Halen but that's a really good song so I just want to throw that throw that in there. Yeah, it is good and it it's, um, you know, mid-90s, almost predictable but... yeah. It's still got that Van Halen catchiness, and it kicks in. So, I don't know. This is a really cool album. I think they did a great job hitting the 90s. Um, I wish they'd gone on and done more, like, Human Beings when they... they yeah, that's that a, I like that song, too, yeah. 97, 96, yeah, something like that. So, I wish they'd kind of continued from there, but unfortunately they didn't. And um, anyway, this is a, a cool end of an era. Number five. I got Queensryche, Promised Land, and I love this album. Not, some people got mixed feelings on it. Uh, it is not a, a remake of Empire, which many people wanted, but uh, Queensryche was never a band that rested on their laurels, man. They always were being creative and reinventing themselves. Well, until after this album, then pretty much all the albums suck. But um, it's, um, it's, super, it's super abstract in a lot of spots. Uh, it's pretty deep. I talked about this album on the albums that let us down podcast not because it let me down but it let down a fish it didn't let me down i thought it was one of their best uh i love i am i it disconnected the bridge is so cool it's like a, like chris DeGarmo's relationship with his dad um but then as you get to the end you get a couple empire-ish type songs like these might these might have been leftovers or at least they were trying to appease the fans uh my global mind and one more time around So cool, man! And once again, the su- we've talked about this a million times. The sound quality in the '90s is so awesome and crisp, and sounds so good. And you've got a powerful, talented band like this with the vocals of Jeff Tate. I can't say anymore, so I'm going to stop. But I love it. <laughs> it's a great album. <laughs> well, is it too soon to tell you that this album is on my unhonorable mentions list? <laughs> 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 I can't do it, dude. I can't do it. I know that they they had to evolve, and they had to be a, a, a '90s Queensrÿche, and they're like that. I I get it. They're cerebral. They're a cerebral band, but dude, I tried so hard. I was so excited when this album came out. I was so excited to get it, and it let me down. And it actually still does. I'm not. Wow. I'm, wow. I just can't get into it. I don't okay. know what it is. All right, it's, it's all right, man. All I'm telling you is go back and listen to One More Time Around. 
Okay, it's a deal. I'll do that. Listen you to listen that to song. Jaded Heart, I'll listen to that. Okay, Jaded Heart. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, okay, yeah. I think you're That's up, true. man. What's your four? All right, number four. I got a band called Frontline, State of Rock. Frontline? I'm thinking yeah. like Hardline, Frontline. Okay, all right. I know. There's, there's a theme. I get it. I get <laughs> it. But the theme on this one is that they're another European band. So, Frontline, State of Rock, had they had a lot more albums, they could have been even higher. They're number four, but dude, this album is legit 11 out of 10 for me. They remind me a lot of An Unruly Child, just mm-hmm. a perfect band with the hookiest songs. And again, with the comparisons, just like uh, Kane Roberts' Saints and Sinners album, um, as I was preparing for this, I was going over the standout songs, and I had to, you know, it, it's cliche, but but just you can crank the entire album, the whole damn thing. It's just like Kane Roberts, where you can you can never skip a song on this album. Um, a lot of people compare the singer's voice to Journey, uh, Steve Perry. Um, I, I'm sure he 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 would nail he nail show he would nail Steve Perry songs if he tried, but. You know, I'm not the hugest Steve Perry fan, but I dig this a million times more. Um, it's as if the 80s never ended in Germany. Their country <laughs> of origin, uh, good for them. And uh, also their next album, Heroes, is from 97, and it's also a killer. So this album is like they never left 89, and I absolutely preach this album, and I really would love it if other people got a, got a hold of this album because... It is hooky as hell. Nice. Frontline. That's a new one. Never heard of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. I'm always coming out with those heavy hitter bands that everybody's heard of. I ain't got no fun today. It's just like yesterday. Oh, yeah. Only different shades of gray. So for number four, I got Alice Cooper, Last Temptation. I love this album, man. This album is a return to form. Uh, it's a concept album. Uh, it's a concept, though, that's kind of been done before by him. It's a lot of like being tempted by the devil type stuff or you're going to hell. He, he's kind of done this kind of thing before. It doesn't even matter. I don't even care what the concept is. Um, the the songs are good. And one of my favorite Alice Cooper songs is on here. It's shy, uh, Sideshow. And it's a total throwback, man. It sounds like one of uh, one of his 70s songs. And I think that's where I was at this point. I, I You know, the 90s. I was really getting into old Kiss and old Cooper. So if Cooper was uh, doing anything that was 70s-ish, I was into it. Um, but the whole album's not yeah. really like that. Um, a lot of them, it just seems like an upgrade or, or of like a sound upgrade from uh, Hey Stupid. It, you know, I, we're definitely not in the same territory with this one as we are with uh, Trash and stuff like that. But some of it, I could see where it's just maybe a little bit more mature uh, or laid back compared to what's on Hey Stupid. Uh, songs like You're My Temptation and Bad Place Alone. A lot of cool songs. Stuff Burns, right? Your buddy's on this album. 
Um, <laughs> one song, though, that I've always thought was kind of stupid and was a bad choice for a single was Lost in America. It fits well with the concept, but it doesn't really work as a standalone single. I think Beavis and Butthead made fun of this uh, song on their show. I think oh, they, I mean, I think they made fun of a lot of people. Stolen Prayer, that's another one. It's got that old Alice Cooper ballad type of thing. And it's got Chris Cornell kind of backing him up on there, which is totally cool. Um, and then one song I know oh, you wow. would love if you haven't heard this song is It's Me. It's written with Jack Blades and Tommy Shaw, you know, that winning crew that did uh, the damn Yankees and Vince Neil Exposed. So It's Me exactly. is a great commercial power ballad so it's got a little bit of everything alice is kind of in a conversion period where he's trying to go back to his old 70s stuff he's still got some of that commercial hard rock that he was known for with the two albums before um i think he gets completely full-on alice mode when he gets to brutal planet i think he's right back into his old creative self so this is kind of like a in-between type of an album but i love it it's got a lot of great songs on it yeah, I, I know you're a big uh, '70s Cooper fan, yeah. and the the Constrictor era and all that. I kind of stopped at "Hey Stupid" because it wasn't '80s sounding after that, and I loved me some the Bed of Nails and House of Fire <laughs> and all that stuff. Right. Which I know you don't love. No, it's, it's not very Alice of no. to do that, but you know. That's why I love Kane Roberts. <laughs> Kane Roberts. Number three. <laughs> Number three. I got a guy named James Christian. Rude Awakening. James Christian was the singer for House of Lords. House of Lords, yes. So, uh, yeah, just really great vocalist. Um, he's got, just press play on this one, the huge, huge song, Don't Start Me Up. It's just epic, dude. You know, it's laced with hooky, deep, fantastically produced ripping songs. Um, the Rippers are are the first song I mentioned. The Warden, Best Girl, and is, is this, this insanely catchy song. Uh, Cold Day in Hell, Love Has No Mercy, and Woman Enough. Those are like the, the those are all like the hard rock songs on this album, and they're all killer. They're all catchy. They're all laced with eighties. Uh, big choruses and catchiness. Um, the rest are pretty, pretty like heartfelt mid tempos and ballads. I love House of Lords. Um, Sahara, their second album is again it's like an eleven out of ten for me. It's just, it's just amazing album. On so Simmons Records, this guy does and he sings on it's just in the heyday. It's just I love it. Um, oh, and he married Robin Beck, so mm. good for him. He did a great job. <laughs> I don't know if you know who she is, but he did a great job on that one. Oh, uh, I've I've heard of her. Yeah, I'm not really sure, but I I had to throw out a subliminal Simmons Records when you were talking about Sahara and the uh, the first the first album because I know Gene Simmons. Oh, you know what? But appreciate that. Yeah, I forgot to mention I forgot to mention that dude. House of Lords had re- the the recipe. You know, they had their good looking band. They sounded amazing. They had that high class image going with all the fancy clothes and the yeah, rough, the real the puff, puffy videos. shirts, puffy shirts. Yeah, exactly the puffy <laughs> shirts. Exactly right. And and then you know, <laughs> that's great. And then Gene Simmons dug his claws into him, and look what happened. They didn't go anywhere. Dude, so, that's yeah, the he's the, he's the Dude, that's the kiss. The kiss. No pun intended. That's the kiss of death. To be on Simmons Records, dude, or have Simmons totally produce your album, right. you have no chance. You can be the greatest band in the world, and you're done. Yeah, you're finished. 
<laughs> All right, number three, man. This is where I placed handful of rain. Um, nice, big. You know, they came off a big dude. I got I got a whole novel I could say about this album too, but uh, I'll try to keep it brief. So they came off a big success. This is a tough time for the band. Let's let's put it in perspective. The biggest they ever got was was Edge of Thorns. Okay, in a challenging right. time to be big as a metal band. This is so. This is this is a weird one, right? Now the one of the key pieces of the band passes away. He he gets in a, some, a drunk driver hits his car and he dies. So now where do you go? Do you end the band? You know that's basically what happened. They they said all the guys were like, man, Chris was the the backbone of this band, killer guitarist, songwriter. We're done. It's over. And John Oliva, this album was therapy for him. Basically what he did was he made this album without all the rest of them. He played the bass, he played the drums, and he played the rhythm guitar. Uh, so eventually he started to get some people on board and try to get him back to say, hey, man, let's let's do something. So I don't know if John, you know, when I talked to him on the podcast, he said this was therapeutic. He just needed something to put his energy into. But I bet you somewhere mm-hmm. in his mind he's like, man, like let's not let Sabotage die. Chris wouldn't want this. You know what I mean? I'm sure they had to cross his mind. We just had our biggest success. Let's try to keep this thing going. So eventually oh, yeah. he, he talks Zach Stevens into coming back and doing the vocals. Alex Skolnick does all the leads, and he does a great job. Um, you mentioned some great songs. Obviously, uh, Taunting Cobras, super cool, super heavy. A uh, Handful of Rain, yeah. Chance. The only, and, and the thing about Chance, uh, John Oliva says that's the beginning of the TSO. So that's like that's the first song. Oh, really? Yeah. So in his mind, that that's like a TSO song. So that's where TSO kind of came from. Even though it was the Christmas song there, Christmas Eve Sarajevo, that that really pushed them to create TSO. In his mind, this was the first TSO creation. Is that song? Um, but the problem with this album, and I don't know if you agree with me or not, but it starts off real strong, and then it's really dead in the middle. Like it's just kind of all sounds the same. And then it picks up again at the end. So that's my only complaint. Because Hunch of Thorns, to me, is just, like, solid. And this one, it's, like, it's not bad, but it just all kind of sounds the same for, like, that middle chunk, like, staring at the sun. I couldn't tell one of those songs from another. Um, But then you get back to the end. You got the heavy Nothing's Going On, which you mentioned. Um, There's a Queensryche-ish type of song called Symmetry. So would you tell me now, life and death is symmetry, violence don't scare us. Chosen, and could these moments balance out against eternity? I love that song. And then, of course, you've got the uh, powerful uh, dedication to his brother, Alone You Breathe. So, super cool album. It's got great sound quality and musicianship. Um, it's just not as good as Edge of Thorns. And, of course, right. there's a major piece missing. So there's a lot. There's just a lot to take in. But I think if I had to redo this album or, or point out what I think's wrong with it, it's that middle part. It doesn't really pop. I think I think it's like especially something after Chance. It's so epic. It's so cool. And then it's just like then we got yeah. like three or four songs that all kind of sound the same. So I don't know. I love it. I still love it, and I listen to it all the time to this day. Yeah, and I agree. I actually never really picked up on that, but that song Chance is such a big song for me and stands out so much. You're right. It does kind of lull in the middle and yeah. then it picks up. So yeah. So I don't know if that was a recipe of theirs or whatever, but yeah, maybe maybe it was the, it was, it was a premonition of the, uh, intermission they would have in the TSO shows. Who knows? <laughs> That's right. All right, man. That's right. I can't wait to hear it. Number two. 
All right, number two, I'm getting to the big guys here, just like you with your your, your big, your heavy hitters. So I'm going Crocus to rock or not to be. So, Crocus, they reunited after their epic 1988 album, Heart Attack, didn't exactly uh, tear it up like it should have. I know you like that album, I like that album a lot, Um, but this album, To Rock or Not To Be, from 1995, it's real special to me. I went with the same recipe as I did with Y&T, where I got the best of, I got Headhunter and the Blitz. I kind of tapped out on my domestic releases of Crocus. And then this one was import only. And back in the mid-90s, it was buying it from a, a catalog I'd receive in the mail and see, oh, man, Crocus, was, you know, they got a new album out in Europe. And boom, it's an import. I get it. It's brand new. And, dude, I played this one around the clock. Like, this is when I really engaged in this band. And I just assumed that, all these bands that come out with new albums are going to automatically be killer. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. where was I let down later on in the like, <laughs> late nineties, early two thousands, but this was a was solid album. Um, this has got solid hard rock. There's no bullshit. And it's just got catchy hard rock, lion heart, flying through the night, talking like a shotgun, natural blonde, the title track. It's just great stuff. It's a Swiss masterpiece. It's right next to Headhunter and the Blitz and Heart Attack for me. It's up there. I um, I still listen to it quite a bit. Um, the album artwork is kind of funny. But uh, other than that, Crocus, To Rock or Not To Be. Great album. Awesome, man. I know you love Crocus. And uh, it's great. I didn't know they had one in 95. It's good, good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> they certainly did. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, like I know you like... Um, you're few and far between on your Crocus, but right. 88 Heart Attack, yeah. that was a really cool album. I really like Heart Attack. It's it's where they should have been in 88, and and I it's, it's a bummer that they didn't get bigger after their um, 86 album, but this album, dude, I, you can't go wrong. Check it out if you like straight ahead hard rock. Well, the problem, too, is they were on, uh, for for the Heart Attack album, they were on MCA, which is also a kiss of death. And if you have an album produced by Gene Simmons on MCA... AKA Keel, the final frontier, you completely have no chance. So I'll show that out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's double whammy. The, uh, <laughs> what was the MCA acronym? Uh, Musician Cemetery of America. Musician Cemetery of America. So. Oh, dude, exactly. <laughs> All right. Number two, man. And my, my buddy A Fish is probably going to stop talking to me for not putting this at number one. But I got Motley, 94. That's my number one. I know you're not big into this album, but um, I dig it, man. It's, it's a monster. It, it's got such big sound. I remember I had a friend that was a drummer who used to just live by this album and would just practice to it. It's it's such a drum album. It's so good. Uh, it's Man, it's 90s crew. You know, it, it is what it is. You know, they're definitely not... It ain't Dr. Feelgood anymore. They're, they're trying to update. It's got a lot of balls, and I think Karabi's voice fits this kind of music perfectly. I, I really There's a few songs I could picture Vince maybe singing on here, but but not too many. 
um, and they sound inspired. A lot of times people will, will criticize uh, Nicky for you know having filler type songs, but I feel like this album he, he seems more focused and more inspired. I love Power to the Music, Hooligans Holiday, Misunderstood. Poison Apples, that's the one where I would love to hear what Vince would sound like uh, singing that one. Um, Hammered, Till Death Do Us Part. I don't know, man. I'm just a big fan of it. I saw this uh, I saw this tour. There was not many people in the crowd. <laughs> it's on YouTube. It was yeah. at, in Weedsport, New York. But I don't know, man. It's a cool era. You know, it, it. I prefer, obviously, I just said Vince is one of my favorites, and I prefer Crew with Vince. But this is a nice detour. So, yeah, that's what I got. You know what? Uh, I think um, the reason why I just don't like this album is because it's not my cup of tea for hard rock. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I bang my head to kickstart my heart yeah. and all, all in the name of or 10 seconds to love. Yeah. Like, that's hard rock for me. This isn't my cup of tea at all. Mm-hmm. And I like Karabi a lot. I think he's got a great voice. Mm-hmm. I think his voice in the scream is killer. I love that band, and obviously I love Motley with Vince, but Motley 94, to me, it's not that it's a bad album, it's just not my style of hard rock. Yep. So, especially because they took the name Motley Crue on this thing, I just can't do it. And so, I've tried, dude, I told you, I've tried so many times with right. the album, because it is Motley, and I love my Motley, but I can't do it. Yeah. There's little, I think there's little elements of the crew, crew that you love in there, but it's, you just, it's really hard to find it. You know, like something like a hammer, like it, like there's a pre-chorus, you're, you're the monkey on my back. Like it, there's some big chorus type stuff going on there, big vocal things, but like, it's just few and far between. You know what I mean? So I think there's little, little parts of that that you would like, but like, I think there mostly is a lot of parts that you don't like. So it's hard to find yeah. that, the, those motley-isms that you're into on this album. So. Yeah, exactly. Number uno. Speaking of new singers, number one with a bullet, I'm a power pack. I got ACDC Ball Breaker. Nice. There you go. I had to put him in there. Had to, man. Had to. And they'll always be my number one band. And although there are albums of theirs I like a lot better than this album, this album means a lot to me. Um, Besides ACDC Live in 1992, this is my first ACDC stu- studio album that I purchased brand new. Um, it's the last ACDC album that I really embraced, and I literally know, know for now everything, you know, from every drum beat, guitar riff, guitar solo, I know it all. So it's, um, it, you know, it's also the last time the guys look a little bit younger. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I, th- this was also... Uh, I attended my very first concert in uh, February of 1995, or sorry, 1996, and it was my first concert ever, and it happened to be ACDC, and uh, it's on YouTube, which is really cool to watch, um, but I, I saw them when they came around for a second time on this leg of the tour, and they played in a different venue, and I got to meet the band, and I don't know if I've ever told you that story, it's a really long, awesome story. 
Um, but it wasn't by chance, man. I, I really think it was a divine thing. And uh, at that point, I was obsessed with ACDC. They're my number one band. I didn't. I think I owned a couple Crocus albums at that point, but ACDC was it for me. And uh, anyway, this is just an album that I, I still listen to. I still go back to this album. Um, Heart of the Rock was the single. Um, Cover You in Oil, Whiskey on the Rocks, Hail Caesar. And the title track, Ball Breaker, that song just rips. And it really rips live. So it still gives me chills to watch the ACDC live video, No Bowl, because it's the same exact uh, set list they had when I saw them, almost, and uh, the same stage show. And it gives me chills when they open with Back in Black. So nice. Ball Breaker was the number one. Cool, man. And it was it's weird. A thought just came to me that, like, there was an album that I haven't mentioned. It's not my number one. I don't even have it on my list, but I'm just going to mention it right now. I'm going to throw my honorable mention in right now. And if I would have counted live albums, and this is kind of a special live album, I would have counted probably Kiss Unplugged as my number one. Because to me, this is one of the coolest Kiss live... I'd take this probably over any of the Alive series because... This one, you can actually hear everything crystal clear. You can hear the three-part harmonies and the renditions of all these songs that they do, like Sure Know Something on there, and all these different tracks are so good. Yeah. If I would have um, thought about putting this on there, this might be number one. So I'm just going to give Kiss Unplugged a little plug and, and just throw it out there. that It's, oh, it's, nice. it's, it's such a high-quality album that just shows how what good musicians Kiss actually are because a lot of times they don't get credit for that. And uh, what good singers they were. They were, like I said, they're doing three part harmonies and all that kind of stuff. So that's just my little detour. Yeah. But my number one is, of course, Ingve, the seventh soccer. I feel like I've told a lot of these same stories over and over again because either, you know, the podcast with Mike Vissera, we did an Ingve lit. Like I, I feel like I've talked about some of these albums numerous times, but there's probably somebody, this is the first time they've ever heard me talk about it. So um, I was a big loudness fan. <laughs> Let me start at the beginning. I loved Soldier yeah. of Fortune and um, On the Prowl. And I Without the internet, I had no idea what happened to Mike Vissera. I didn't know. I didn't know where he went. I didn't know what he was doing. And kind of like the old thing with Vince Neil, I, I knew. I saw on a whiteboard, Ingve Malmsteen, seventh sign. Had no idea who was in the band. Had no idea anything. But I know that it was Ingve, and I was going to buy it. So I bought it. Oh yeah. And I just remember opening it up, and I was like, Oh my god. Mike Vissera singing for Ingve. Like I said, I didn't know. I I don't know. It was wasn't in any magazines I was reading. It was 1994, and it kind of blew me away. So of course I had, um, you know, I had I had some high expectations. And once I put it in the CD player, man, and it let it rip, like you said, it would never die. I was like, wow, this this is a, a perfect combination. This voice sounds great over this music. And another funny thing is, is that. To me, I think this is probably the best album that ever came out on CMC Records. CMC Records, as you know, is an album where all the dudes that got rejected from major labels went, right? And pretty much everybody exactly. did a freaking stupid grunge album on CMC. Dockin', Warrant, <laughs> you go down the list. and But not Ingve, the unwavering 
metal Viking, man. He made a metal album. And um, the cover sucks, though. So that's one thing that always happens with a uh, CMC album, is that the album cover is going to suck. And this album cover does suck. Um, you know what? I, I thought that, too. <laughs> but uh, honestly, there's so many great songs. Um, Meant to Be is one of, the, one of those like commercial rock-type songs. Forever One. Mike Vissera's voice is so crazy on Forever One. He gets so high. Um, Seventh Sign is, I think, Ingbe's one of his best songs. I love that song. Everything about it is, is an amazing song. Um, what was the one we were talking I don't know. You mentioned that. Like, I'm not a big blues guy. Sometimes when Ingbe goes down the blues thing, it kind of throws me off. But that one just gets picking right up, and it's real heavy, and, and it's bluesy. It's so cool. Um and I like Prisoner of Your Love. That's like the end of the album, toward toward the end ballad. And to me, that sounds exactly like the ballads that are on the uh, Soldier of Fortune album. So uh, and then it ends with Crash and Burn, which is a cool little neoclassical metal song. So, yeah, man. Of course it's on my list. Love it. Great combination. Album gets better with age. Uh, definitely was unaffected by grunge and all the things of the 90s. So that's what I got. Yeah, good stuff, dude. I like it. I appreciate that. And I'm obviously, uh, I, I like a little bit of blues here and there. Like, I, I really like Stevie Ray Vaughan. But when Ingway goes, goes blues, it is a good thing that he uh, decided to just turn it up into the metal world a little bit. Because that intro is bluesy, but the rest of it rips. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's the extent of my Ingway blues. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, we got through it. It was a... Uh... It was a good list. I'm glad we cut it back and, and just did 94 and 96 because now that gives us the opportunity to do 97 through 99. So, yeah, totally. I can't wait for that either. I got my list established. <laughs> I gotta I gotta work on mine. I think I've I think I've got it, but it's cool. It'll give me an opportunity to talk about some albums that I probably would have cut out. So, all right, brother. Always appreciate yeah. your time. It was a fun conversation. We had fun. We laughed. We cried. It was good. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Talk to you later. Well, that was great talking about some cool albums from the 90s. Rock on!